Um, all right, well, we're here. So, Nigel, thanks for... Dr. Nigel, I should say. Yeah, it's either Dr. Osland or Nigel. I don't mind. <laughs> but not we'll, Mr. Osland, that's my dad. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go informal. Um, <laughs> Nigel, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, before we dig in... Who are you? What do you do? Tell tell our okay. audience of the Irish pod. <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah, I'm Nigel Osland. I'm a psychologist by training, but I very early went into the world of workplace, workplace design. Most of my work involves trying to understand occupiers or occupants' requirements to help build a better workplace. So I tend to come from a psychological perspective. Uh, I'm very into evolutionary psychology, whether our innate human needs and how do we translate that into uh, office design. So I'm not a designer. Uh, I write briefs, design briefs. I do change management to help people through the process, but I'll work alongside architects and interior designers and engineers to kind of create the best working environment, if you like. So I want to dig into that about, obviously, we're an audio company, sound, and I'm sure sound is a crucial criteria, but um, you're a fan of the the Hertzberg motivation hygiene theory, <laughs> yes. and and I seem to remember kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. which is not probably dissimilar yep. to some of the motivators in that. But tell us about that and why that's a guiding yeah, principle. Yeah, they're, they're they're both related. They're both motivational theory. Um, I like the Hertzberg one because, as you said, he splits it into the motivational factors and then the hygiene factors. So the hygiene factors is your world, if you like. It's the world of sound and temperature, the physical environment, the design, the space, layout, and so on. And what he says, if we don't get those right, it can have a negative impact on your productivity, on your performance. The motivational factors are things like reward, recognition, payment, and all that which motivate you to have an additional impact on your performance. So there's no point just giving people all the motivational stuff, paying them well and all of that, if you're not also looking after the hygiene factors, which yeah. might be holding them back. Yeah, understood. Um, so if we go right to the beginning, we, we've, for, for <coughs> probably over 100 years, we've had offices. We've, mm. we, we, we trek off on a morning and yeah. we put our work clobber on, which has got casual over uh, over the more recent <laughs> years, and we, we turn up at this building and... We all sit around in desks and before we were in little cuboid offices and now we're out yeah. in open plan offices. <clears throat> yes. Why do, why has that been the way we've done it and where are we going next with that? Because it doesn't feel <laughs> like that's going to fully be the way that we do this for much longer, is it? Yeah, well, mm, well, we're in a state of change because obviously the world has changed in three years and, and to be honest, we're still not sure what, what the future is. But having said that, yes, we moved to mainstream, large offices, if you like, uh, about 100 years ago. It's when we started doing trade and commerce and we needed filing cabinets and we needed typewriters at the time and then we needed telephones. And that's kind of changed because now most of it's done on laptops and mobile. So we've become more mobile and some companies have taken advantage of that and said, well, actually, if we're more mobile, we're in and out of the office, we can work in the office at home or elsewhere and like coffee shops and and I work in the British Library, for example, occasionally, things like that. Yeah. So... So the world has shifted in that respect, but there's still a lot of organizations that insist that they need their staff to come in and work together because they're kind of uh, working with each other, working off each other. They're, uh, they're very um, team-focused, very project-focused. 
So you kind of want to be in and around your colleagues. And that tended to lend itself to the, to the more open plan design. It was all about uh, community, collegiate, collaboration, bringing people together. And that's great for those kind of projects where you need to do that. But unfortunately, a lot of us, when we're in the office, we also need to focus and concentrate. And the, the worst case scenario, I guess, is where you have people who are trying to focus and concentrate, sitting next to people who are on the phone or on, in these days taking video calls in the middle of the open plan. That's, where, that's the biggest um, uh, issue for, for most offices now. It is that kind of sound and acoustics. So if that... It if that's where we've been, yeah. where are we going to go? Because we've experienced this kind of yeah, this, dramatic change to well, everything. This, right? this fantastic homework experiment. Has where... it been fantastic? <laughs> <laughs> okay, a large-scale homeworking experiment. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because I say I, I've worked with a lot of organisations that have been doing agile working, smart working, flexible working, what you want to call it, over the last 25, 30 years. I'm... I'm IBM and other people were doing it in the 90s kind of thing. But now the world is kind of, a lot of the world is caught up. All those organizations that said we could never possibly work from home have found that actually you can do, you can work from home. You don't want to do it all the time because, again, we're social animals. We, we, want, we want to meet people, we want to socialize, we need to collaborate. It's quite difficult to get a kind of creative vibe it's quite difficult to get a creative vibe going when you're in different locations. Uh, again, as animals, we want to come together, look each other in the eye, yeah. kind of pick up on the nonverbal communication. All of those things are really important for how we how we communicate. So, <clears throat> so whilst homeworking is great and fantastic for some, and it's also maybe better for things like focused work, or, or actually working without distraction, working without the phone calls or your colleague tapping you on the shoulder. But as I said, it can get lonely, um, particularly for extroverts rather than introverts. We want to socialise, we want to come in the office. So it's all about a balance. So I think what, what we've got to is the state where people have actually realised, well, actually, it's not about five days in the office or five days at home. Yeah. It's about that two to three days uh, I need to come in. But you know what? I don't want to come in every day and face that 45-minute, one-hour commute each way. That's hassle. And I've got things to do that I need to get out this week. So that's where the home works. So I think going forward, we will see this hybrid working, as it's now known. Um, I've always called it agile, smart working. We will see more of that. But it will depend on organizations and individuals and, and so on. It's not, it's not the same formula for everyone. It's, it's a different mix. Yeah. I mean, we had um, James Solomides, who's the uh, co-founder of a business called Near You, which is about, um, it's like Airbnb for, for meeting rooms. Yeah. And I think what we touched on was rather than just turning up, opening laptop, mm. working kind of away and maybe suboptimally because of the distractions <laughs> of the open plan office and then yeah. closing laptop and going home, you didn't need to be in the office that day, but it's about customizing, uh, bespoking the environment yeah. for what you're doing on that given day or in that given meeting. Yeah. yeah. Um, how important is it for, how important is the environment to get yeah. us neurologically kind of focused on whatever the task is? Is it a workshop? Is it a one-to-one? -one? Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, what you're talking about there is what we've called for years activity-based working and that's sorry, understanding what people are doing and then finding the correct environments to to match that activity 
So yes, if you wanted to do focused work, you'd probably prefer to be in a, a booth or a focus pod or a quiet room. If you're doing meetings, obviously you you want to be in a, a meeting and that could be a, a one-to-one meeting, which might be cozier and a little bit more subdued than a big kind of collaborative team brainstorming meeting or a board meeting. So meet, meetings have different purposes. You know, we, we meet for different reasons. And so it's about getting that right mixture of uh, different settings, work settings to support the activity. But again, that will vary from individual and group of people. And yeah, it's great when you can plan your day and you can say, right, I know I want to focus for half the day and then I want to be with my colleagues, kind of socialising for the other half. And, and to be honest, the only answer is to offer that kind of variety and choice and freedom to do that. That's when I think we get more, more out of people than saying the only environment you've got is the desk and you're going to sit there for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And, and actually, let's not forget <clears throat> things like, um, I did a paper years ago on, on, on collaboration, and, and, and one of the precedents for collaboration is trust, and the way you build trust is through socialising with people and understanding and getting to know them, yeah. and you trust and respect them. So, so actually the social aspects of a workplace, the breakout spaces, the chill-out zones and all of that, is as important as the the desk and the you know the, the factory floor, as it were. <laughs> yeah, and and your book Beyond the Workplace Zoo, humanizing the office. You talk about this, right? You talk yeah. about how you can do different areas, divide it up, and yeah. create that yeah. ambiance. Different different zones, different work activities. Um, break up the space. No no one likes to be in a big, massive, open plan space with, oh. with seas of desks. They're not. This, is, this, <laughs> this, this isn't that big by, uh, you know, you go down to Canary Wharf and you'll see 400 yeah. desks on the floor plate kind of thing. So, um, so, you know, it's all about breaking it up, having a more human scale to it, little zones for teams. People want a sense of belonging. They want to go to a zone and meet their colleagues. They want to know where they can find their colleagues. So what we haven't talked about, I suppose, is the, because open plan isn't going to go away, whatever people say. You know, we, we and I'm sorry, and it does that relates to your other question about where, how did offices come about an open plan? A lot of it was driven by cost. Mm. Um, so, so the great bit, of, the good bit about open plan was all the collaboration, but there's always been a cost element. I mean, in in London at the moment, for example, the, the rent price is uh, ridiculously high, and and it, and it's a big outgoing, it's an outgoing cost, a big outlay. Um, not just the fit out of the space, but also the ongoing rent, operational costs, and so on. And that scares a lot of organisations. They don't want to invest that massive amount of money. Um, whereas actually what they're doing is missing the point that productivity is all about balancing cost and performance. And if you drive costs down too much, like if you do over-densify offices, if you don't have any of those nice facilities and work settings and you don't take care of the acoustic environment, if you don't do any of that, then your performance is going to drop and there's no point people coming into the office because yeah. you, you're destroying your business rather than building your business. The, the office <coughs> is a tool. Um, it's not the, one of the motivators, but it's still one of the hygiene factors and it's still a tool that helps us enhance performance in the office. So you know, good design and, and a good environment is all part of that equation. There's no doubt about it. You can probably get more productivity out of dry, motivating people through other factors, reward, recognition, rather than uh, through design factors. But you do need the design factors as well. I don't know how I got to it, but about 20 years ago, I came to the conclusion that you can get 
productivity gains of about 10 to 15 percent through good office design. What I think it's uh, incredibly useful as well in terms of recruiting talent. People, yeah. people now demand a little bit more, and I think you know we've certainly, uh, you know, we've got quite a, I guess it a kind of industrial loft style. I'll get your analysis of our office in a moment. Um, and, you know, natural, it's got good natural light. Yeah. I think the acoustics for a sound company are probably quite poor. Um, lack, our sound lack, engineer, lack, Rob, probably lack, gets lacking. stressed when we do these podcasts for the echo and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but do you see it from that side as well, that it really brings a, a, a yeah, kind of... Yeah, I, I, I think um, it's a terrible phrase, but it's used quite a lot, the war for talent, mm. and it's about attracting people in. So, so yes, you're going to attract them through the right salary and the location and, and what they do and their skill set and all that. That's really important. But the tipping point might be the environment itself. And you've only got to look at some of the big tech companies, for example, to look at how they're creating environments that not only attract their staff, new staff, but keep them there for longer as a career and also longer during the day as well because it's such nice comfortable environments people don't mind being there and, and working and and some of us perform better in the morning some of us in the evening so they're kind of catering for that as well those diurnal uh, literally catering i remember yeah, visiting literally. google's <laughs> offices a few times and it's just you know 12 floors of, of yeah. restaurant um basically <laughs> and snacks and whatever and and, and a slide they, they look after their staff but and and it's it's for several reasons they have good catering. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just have to be careful what I say. But they, 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 uh, you know, they have good catering for several reasons. One reason is uh, this is what I was told by colleagues who've worked for Google is that people mingle and they gather and they socialise at the catering areas. It's that, the same. It's at, bringing people together. It's the same at home. The kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. has become, it is the place where yeah. a lot of, you know. It, it's back you know, back to the book again, and, and I talk about evolutionary psychology and innate human needs, and it goes back to the days when um, socialising around the fire, the, the hearth, um, around water. I talk about the, the animals coming to the watering hole, yeah. sharing food. This is all part of what we did, telling stories. That's how we came together. That's how we communicated. Uh, you know, the, the, the environment, evolutionary psychologists would say that's still kind of ingrained in us and, and we hop back to that but yeah they i, I mean the, the, the other re the, the, the more sinister reason that you might provide good catering and facilities and gyms and welfare is it keeps your people at work for longer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yes <laughs> definitely <laughs> now that's great for productivity but we have to balance that with well-being as well so. yeah absolutely i think um you know where we're located here you know we, we're about to move actually to a bigger office, but in the same building overlooking yeah. Oxford Street. And we don't want to move away from this area. Yeah. We want to, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's in the hub of things. It's in the action. You've got yeah, yeah. a nice view. You've got you know, restaurants that you can pop out to and green spaces that green you can space, escape green to. Green spaces, important. Yeah. It's in, and you've got some plants in the office. And we've got some plants in the office. Some <laughs> of them are fake, I'm afraid. But, oh, um, okay, well, yeah, yeah. you fooled me. They, uh, yeah, that one, that one in the corner there is fake. Sorry, guys. Um, but the rest of them are real. Um, sound, then. Let's talk about oh, yeah. sound. Yeah. Um, we're an audio company. It feels like a lot of the design, you know, before when we were all locked away in offices mm -hmm. and then the office walls kind of reduced down and there's this cube farm and, yeah. you know, and now fully open plan without even dividers between, between the desks. Sound and, 
and noise mm. is um, is a problem, right? Yeah. How do we how do we address <laughs> that in the design of offices and how much yeah. of a factor is it in performance? Yeah. So 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 again, we we we've gone back to we've gone to open plan for for various reasons, but but I think what we've done is we've pushed it too far in terms of squeezing people in the density thing. So if you go um, to some organisations, particularly. Uh, northern europe and overseas there's open plan environments that work perfectly well because the desks are spaced out they're not on top of each other and also they've zoned the desk again we talked about that a little bit before so you, it's not just rows and rows of desks they're in little clusters team clusters now if you're in a team cluster and you work closely with that team you don't mind hearing what they're saying you don't mind being a little bit distracted by what they're saying on the phone all that because you, it's tacit knowledge you're learning from that and it might help you in your job. Where it gets distracting is when you start hearing things from other teams that are irrelevant to you. Speech, speech is the most uh, uh, dis disturbing of, of all the sounds uh, because we're processing it. So it's not that you're just hearing it, your brain's actually actively processing it and that causes the distraction. So, um, so the way that we re resolve it is in, in, in various ways. Um, Dedensify the office. Small clusters of desks, twos and fours, rather than eights and ten, twelve desks. Little zones with screening between, some absorption between, and that could be um, bookshelves, even open bookshelves. It could be planting. You know, plant, uh, plants are great for diffusing sound. The big broadleaf plants are good for absorption. You might uh, there's lots of screens on the on the market at the moment that hang down like velvet screens that just help absorb the sound. And certainly. Um, screens between desks, um, I would always recommend they're at the height above your mouth because what you wanted that screen to do is capture the sound coming out of your mouth and absorb it. Um, I, don't think, I don't think you need the, the side screens, so we don't need the cubicles yeah. um, because the, the, the sound is going forward. Um, it's really trendy at the moment to have exposed ceilings and they look cool and they're great for daylight and sense of space, but they're not good for acoustics because, again, we've, we've taken out the absorption. And also hard floors, again, nice and trendy, but it's reflective, so it's going to reflect sound. So, so, it's all, so initially it's about absorption. Get as much absorption in there as you can. Set distances our friend with acoustics. Provide spaces where people can go and make noise. So, you know, if they're going to have a meeting, or socialise, provide the spaces away from the main desk area where they can they can do that. And then we're into other methods. We can start now talking about in, how do we introduce sound masking or soundscaping and, and other technology. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but there's a lot of people wearing headphones at the moment in offices, yes. noise cancelling headphones, because a lot of people are taking calls in the open plan. Uh, and obviously that's distracting to those people who sitting next to them want to write and focus and read and do analysis and all the rest of it just keeping on that you know the voice you said something interesting you know about the, the voice we're processing it even if we're just picking up <laughs> yeah. on the odd word um how how much do you think that's affecting our performance and our ability you know obviously it's affecting our focus but mm. do you think um in these more open plan environments with you know cramming more and more people into smaller mm. spaces do you think that the fatigue mm. increases over the day and leaves us yeah, a bit drained? It, it, uh, 
it's stimulation, isn't it? it, it, it these are all uh, st stimuli, not stimulants, stimuli <laughs> that, uh, that that affect us. So um, what what you find? So again, I, I've done quite a bit of work on personality and stuff. So so in, introverts, for example, have what we call a natural level of arousal, and and therefore overstimulation causes them to decreases their performance. Extroverts have a low level of arousal, so they seek stimulation to maximise their performance. But, you, but too much will still take them over the optimum. So, yes, um, speech, um, as, and I think you said you had Julian Treasure in here before. And he, yeah. I think he came up with a phrase about our ears are always on. Yeah. So we're always listening. It's, it, again, it's, it's evolutionary. It, it's, a, it's a fight or flight thing. So we're always listening, so we're always processing. And, and voice in particular is, is the one that we're listening out for. Also drills, um, <laughs> yeah. We've got, we've got drills. We've got construction. We've got um, the noise of the road isn't too bad today. So we've got all. I mean, you've, got, you've got them all. That's yeah. why we've built so, a so, uh, yeah, voice so, isolation product. By yeah. the way, <laughs> I was going to say. So you're, you know, you, you're, you're working really hard. You're processing all this in the yeah. background. It's, it's a bit like on your computer, isn't it? When it says, "Oh, we're doing stuff in the background," and it slows the computer down. Doesn't yeah. It? Well, it's a similar. <laughs> I think it's a good enough analogy. Yeah, it's probably not quite like that. But but yeah, we're processing all this information and it can cause it can lead to fatigue because we're just working harder to just do all this. And, and that's again some of the research we found when we were looking at the impact of uh, noise in particular on personality types. And what we're saying is uh, in our surveys when when you ask people about does the noise affect your productivity or performance, most of people say um, at the end of the day, no, but that's so. So they're still performing, but what we believe is they're having to work a lot harder to 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 get their productivity up. So it, it's not efficient and it's tiring, it's fatiguing, and then that means the next day they're coming back tired. They might be losing sleep over all those all those things, all those stresses affect our performance at work. So yes, is the answer to your question. It is fatiguing and will have a de detriment on performance. Um, what about people that have some sort of sensory disability, autism, mm. and so <clears throat> forth? Um, yeah, you know, they're, where, where they're, they're kind of sensitivity to that drill that's going on in the background <laughs> yes. that people won't be able to hear on the podcast. We're going to cancel that noise out. Um, but you know, is that something that people are now taking closer attention to in designing office yeah. spaces because yeah. companies are, you know. Uh, having policies now introduced that you know Absolutely. are not discriminatory against yeah yeah I mean um, uh, kind of diversity inclusion is a, is, a, is a big subject but but again there's there's kind of good and bad reasons behind that but um, a lot of organisations particularly tech organisations have recognised the skills and contribution of neurodiverse people who kind of have this fantastic kind of cognitive uh, performing capacity. So they're using them for coding and all of those things. Now, the, the issue you have with um, uh, neurodiversity is it's, it's a spectrum, like all these things, but you have people who uh, want to avoid stimulation and people who seek stimulation. Uh, so you have the sensory seekers, sensory avoiders. And, and I talked earlier about introverts and extroverts and this kind of um, spectrum. In my mind, the, the kind of neurodiverse spectrum is just the extension of that. It, it's, it's the extreme ends of that normal distribution. 
but if we want to be inclusive, we need to design for that range of people, not just for the average person. And let's face it, not many of us are average. So it's, it's becoming increasingly important. So a lot, as I said, a lot of the big tech companies are now employing neurodiverse people, and they're having they're now interested in how we design to accommodate those people. So for the sensory avoiders, being in open plan, uh, conducting focused work, and uh, being distracted by visually and acoustically, that's none of that's good for their performance. So we have to help through design uh, to, 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 to alleviate some of that. Is that, is that uh, maybe, you know, more of a traditional office setup if that's the way that someone needs to have that kind of focused area? Yeah. Is it headphones? Is it? Yeah, I, th I think th there's different ways of tackling it. I mean, uh, I'm not a big fan of putting everyone back in cages and cells because, again, other research I've done, it that leads to isolation and to loneliness and to other issues and you feel out of touch with the company and out of touch with your clients and so on. But it is great that you can close the door and focus and concentrate as well. But as I said earlier, a lot of organizations haven't got the, um, the, 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 the ability to, to be able to provide a, an office, a private office for all of their staff. And as I said, I, I don't condone that. So we have to think of other ways to do it. And it's all the things I've mentioned, uh, all the things I've mentioned, de-densification, separation, clusters, groups, settings where you can go. So um, people who are sensory uh, voiders might take more advantage of the booths and the pods and the focus rooms and book those, whereas people who are uh, sen sensory seekers will be very happy in the middle of the open plan chatting. And if anything, there'll be a distraction to, to other people. But, but so, so it's all about choice. Uh, a variety of work settings, providing people with the genuine choice. Like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with you getting up from your desk and working in that environment, or working from home occasionally, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, you, and then I say that, that uh, and then we introduce lots of absorption, and then we start to look at the tech solutions like sound masking and and and, and your own stuff. <laughs> well, that's before I get onto to that and and video conferencing and and how we get that hybrid mix that performs well for everybody. You talk about um, you know your guide for business and facilities manager book. Um, but what about the manager? The manager is used mm. to looking out, and you know, <laughs> Jacoby and I looking out of the little frosted glass window. Oh, mm. we feel really comfortable that the team are outside and around. Mm. Is there a kind of shift needed for managers? Because you said, you know, yeah. we no longer have to work at the desk. If the work needs yeah. it, we go for it to a cafe or to the British Library, which is a fantastic space yeah. to get some focus. Absolutely. Is, um, it, is it on managers? Yeah, to, um, one word, trust. Trust. Um, and, and trust works both ways. Uh, the staff have to trust their manager. The manager has to trust the staff. With, without that trust, um, it's difficult to have that kind of freer, uh, free-range uh, environment. Um, and one way to gain trust um, is uh, move away from managing people by time and managing people by output and deliverables. And, you know, I, blimey, uh, 25 years ago when I was a young consultant, um, it was quite refreshing. I, I, I went to an organization, they said, we don't, many, we don't care how many hours you work, but by the end of the week, we need you to do this. And by the end of the month, you need to do this. And you know, they, they were billing the client based on the output. They weren't billing the client by time. Mm, interesting. <laughs> and that's yeah. how, and they 
they translated that to their staff as well. So I've always come from that environment, and, and they like and, and work where you work best. Come in the office if you want. If you don't, work somewhere else. But you have to deliver. Now, if you don't deliver, the trust goes down, yeah. and then you then you're into the management of people, and then you start managing, micromanaging, managing deliverables, managing time, and all the rest of it. But we we employ people for for their skills and what they're good at and what they can do. We don't employ them for the amount of time it takes them to, to sit in an office. Um, obviously, the, you know, some are going to be more efficient than others. That's different. So, yeah, it, it, it comes down to management and uh, having trust in their staff, recruiting the right people. I, I always um, work with a lot of organisations, and they've really struggled with this trust issue and the management issue. And they'd like, you know, I've had, literally had managers saying, well, I don't trust my staff to work away mm. from the office. I'm like, this isn't a workplace issue. This this is a recruitment and management issue. <laughs> you yeah. know, you you shouldn't be employing people that you yeah. don't trust or don't have the skills to deliver the work. Yeah, we had uh, <laughs> we had Harriet Minter, who, who's a a journalist and an author that's written about this, and she used that trust word. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's exactly the same. Yeah, because the the opposite to trust, I almost the opposite to trust is control, isn't it? And it's kind of management by sight. It's a, it's a kind of control mechanism, but but that's a lot of us don't like being controlled that much. We like yeah. a bit of freedom. We, we perform better when we're given good objectives and we've got the freedom to deliver them to to our best capability. Yeah. Um, to just shift gears uh, before we wrap up here. Um, the work environment is now not just physical, but but virtual. Yeah. And we've got a lot of experience over the last, <laughs> a lot of practice <laughs> yeah, yeah. on video conferencing tools. Um, we're still not very good at it. Um, we, we have a statement, you know, whilst it's nice to see each other on the on the screen, the real yeah. value and work is done in, in what's said, uh, the voice, yeah. which is why listening is such an important <laughs> skill that we need to hone. But What's your advice for setting up that virtual work environment to make it most effective? Okay, that's interesting. Um, so <laughs> there's there's lots of advantages to working virtually um, from a sustainability point of view. You know, we're not traveling halfway around the world for a one-hour meeting. Uh, that's kind of old school a bit now. We, um, you know, e even if we just want to catch up with a, colleague or client for a half hour you, you don't need to travel two hours to do that anymore so loads of good stuff um and it means you can work from home without distraction and you've saving time on travel but i, I still think for me some of that non-verbal communication is still key a, a, a lot of language a lot of communication is not just the voice it's 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 the way we look it's it's our posture it's our hand gestures it's all of that stuff so that's where video conferencing i think that's why why people have started now to prefer video conferencing to a telephone call because you can see people and you can start to judge reactions because that's what we do we uh, you know you look at people and then you change the direction of the conversation to try and find out where they are um and, and i'm sure you might remember those days when you'd be on a teleconference call with 12 other people and you it was chaos it was, yeah. it was rubbish <laughs> and and even worse if you if you're the one person on the phone and the rest of the people are in the room you you might as well not be there at all yeah. so video conferencing certainly helped that um now um 
I say so because we get the nonverbal communication. I still want I still want people to come in the office as well and do all that stuff. But virtual world, it's here to stay now as well, especially with the the hybrid working and the mix of home and office. Um, so the, where am I going with this? Let me just say, there's. So I think what we're still not good at is some of the house rules around video calls and. You know, you get the, the you're still on mute stuff and all that <laughs> rubbish, and uh, you get some people love the fact that there's kids in the background or there's dogs barking, um, or I've got a client whose cat always makes an appearance on screen and you know, mews for its food and all of that. Now that that's kind of nice because it's like we're letting people into our home and we're showing a bit of our personality, but it's also a little bit distracting, and 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 especially when there's twelve people on that screen. And there's a lot going on. Yeah, we, we, we struggle anyway to take in uh, 12 single images. We, we, we're much easier taking one big image with 12 people around the table than we are 12 single images. So I think anything that can help cut down that distraction and just make life easier for those video conferencing calls. And, and also I was saying to your colleague, I, you know, I'm working with a, a bank at the moment and they were dead against video calls. They're now all on video conference calls for best part of the day at yeah. their desk in an open plan environment. Yeah. And when you're on that call with them, you can almost hear their colleagues better than you can hear them. Yeah. And I, I don't know what that is with the with the acoustics, but it, I, I was on a call the other day and, and I thought they were asking me questions, but it wasn't. It was a, someone next to them on a different call. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, well, that's why we, we, you know <laughs> what we built um, as a solution from from our own experiences of that. Yeah. And I think you're right. You know, I think it's a double-edged sword. We've let people into our homes, yeah. you know, during that time, and it was cute for a while. But you know, the second and third time, and you know, yeah. I've got another three of these to do today. Yeah. It starts to become a bit of a, yeah. an annoyance. And yeah. ultimately, we want to be productive so that we can close the laptop lid and and yeah. get on with. With, and, with life and, outside and, of work. And Zoom fatigue is a thing. It's, defi yeah. it's definitely more tiring being on those screens. And I think it's because it's multi-stimuli. Um, also, you don't get the breaks like we used to. Because you remember that if you, in the old days, if you had a meeting face-to-face, -face, the first 10 minutes is just chatting and grabbing a coffee and all of that. And then you might even be walking 15, 20 minutes to your next meeting. Now it's like Zoom, next, Zoom, next. Zoom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's no decompression. There's no time to just chill and think between the meetings yeah. um, especially those ones that are one and a half hours two hours that's that's a crime, <laughs> <It's> a crime. <laughs> <laughs> i agree it's a crime we need to uh we need to legislate for it um nigel i really enjoyed this conversation i'm going to finish up with this one because i know you you host the local radio show oh yeah and um and you've, you've done your wrong. research oh, we've done, we've, <laughs> the team are fantastic at digging in um <laughs> But you you um, you blog about the similarities between music and offices. So uh, yeah. what <laughs> when you walked in here, what song or genre of music was the vibe that you got? Because we're an audio company that loves music. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, I, I'm going to go for Elbow and One Day Like This because you've got such great daylight coming into this office. <laughs> And, and it's kind of quite an upbeat song, isn't it? Fantastic. Can we splice that in? Can we edit that in at the end of this? It's like the outro. Can we do that? Excellent. Well, there we go. Um, Dr. Nigel Oslin, thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, where can people find out about you? 
if they want to dig into improving the design of their of their yeah, office. Yeah, um, there's only one Nigel Osland in the world. So just, really? So just Google me. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's only one Nigel. Osland. <laughs> there's there's two. Um, there's another Tom Darnell, and uh, and he's an amazing artist. He paints pictures of peonies and and oh, a yeah. lot of flat. He's unbelievable. Um, and sometimes uh, in, a, in a former life, people would slide into his DMs and give him abuse about things that I was doing. And he mentioned me once saying, can you stop them from doing that and explain that you're not me and so <laughs> forth. But uh, there we go. But there's only one Nigel Oseland. Um, so people can find out about you and get advice on how to set their offices up for productivity and, yeah. and human well-being. Yeah. Oh, and buy the book. And buy the book. Where can people buy your book? Um, Amazon, I assume. Or Amazon or direct from Rootledge, yeah. Um, and it's uh, beyond the workplace, Sue. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you.